Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Wow, so here we are, right? We, we actually are here at a year. Um, if you want to go and open your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Kings 18 today. But we've made it. I'm going to be honest with you. A year ago, maybe a year and a week ago, we were sitting in a CrossFit gym that had no heat or air, except for the kids' room. Had one bathroom, well, a male and a female. And the bathroom was in the middle of it because it's typically a gym. So literally, if you went to the bathroom during church, you announced your success or lack thereof to everyone who was there. We were looking through a rack, a pull-up bar. Our kids' ministry was in a room that had walls, not really a ceiling. But there was heat, so our kids didn't freeze. But the rest of us did because it was 53 degrees inside. And I remember looking down uh, as, I, as I came out, and I was so nervous. And I looked out to the crowd, and I saw uh, one particular college student who I'd, been, who I'd known and had gone through this process. And he was a smaller guy, and so, you know, not a lot of meat to him. Um, you super thin people don't know the struggle that we have of being a little bigger and always hot always sweaty uh, and it gets below like 80 degrees and you guys just shiver and freeze it's okay whatever I struggle i wish i had but anyways um can't be perfect everywhere no i'm just kidding uh but i remember looking out and he was in the front row and he was shivering like literally like shaking shivering in the cold and i thought well this is going to be a really interesting run because <laughs> we started with a guy in the front row shivering and shaking inside the church and i thought god has got to be you there's not much else we're going to be able to do we had a launch team of 34 people, 22 of which were college students. With college students, I love you guys. You're incredible. Thank you for walking this way with us. Couldn't have done this without you. But I was a little fearful because you guys aren't known for your habits and for saving and spending money very well. That's okay. Good. My jokes are not hitting today. Man. But the second week, we had known that we were going to see everything the church plan had seen because the second week, the fire marshal came and said, you can't meet here in two weeks. And I said, why? And he said, because there's too many people and you don't have fire sprinklers. And I said, that's a great point. I don't want anyone I love to die in a fire during church. Although I do want them to meet Jesus. I don't want them to meet him right now. <clears throat> so we had to move the next week. The news did us a huge favor by announcing an ice storm four days early. So the third weekend we canceled, and then we moved. And we had a guy come in who said I was the best pastor he's ever heard, and two weeks later was calling us a scam on Facebook, telling me I didn't have the key. That's kind of a little, little extra joke for our friends who've been here for a while. Didn't have the key. And then we got to the schools, and then great us. And while we were rehearsing, sorry, Riley, Riley, our worship leader, had a seizure. And as some of you were coming in, the ambulance was going out, and everything was frantic. And I thought, oh, Lord Jesus, what are we going to do? But God's taking care of Riley. Where, where, Riley, where are you? He's in the back getting coffee and donuts. That's good. You can't be mad at me then. Since then, we've had a salesman preach. And share a story, which is kind of close to me, because my brother, who I never thought would preach at a church ever, but he did, because God's good. 
We had a uh, retired pastor, re-retire, pretty much. He came in and give incredible amounts. We've established elders. We've seen a, a guy who was fired from ministry and told he wasn't good enough and would never succeed come here and God reignited his passion for ministry and now he's doing children's ministry full-time in Texas. God used this place to restore him. And not just restore his ministry, but restore his heart. That was amazing. We've spent thousands of hours, and I, I say that kind of embellishing, but kind of not, tearing up, tearing down and setting up, putting chairs out, building things. If you guys only knew the amount of things we tried to build that didn't work, <laughs> like, this is going to look cool. And then we put it together, like, that looks terrible. And everyone will think that we are a junior high ministry if we do that. We, we've seen thousands of dollars given to people in this city who need hope. We've uh, given hours and hours and hours to our city in Gateway Park and adopting and picking up trash and doing things that people didn't want to do. You saw a video literally of Riley taking a shovel and shoveling mud out of a parking lot. Yeah. You ever spent your Thursday afternoon doing that for fun? It's a blast. These jokes are not hitting. It's okay. Everybody's just too worried about what I'm going to say. That's fine. We've been able to give Christmas to a family that had no opportunity that a mom was going to have to look at her kids on Christmas morning and try to come up with why Santa didn't stop by. We've had the opportunity to give a little gift card from Ingalls to a family that didn't know how they were going to eat that day, and that's just where God led us. But this isn't about us. It's not about our church and what we've done. It's about what God has allowed us to be a part of, because he was going to do those things. I have no doubt that he was going to take care of those things, but it's what God allowed us to be a part of. And that's what makes it special. Those aren't even my favorite numbers of this church, though. Let me tell you what are. 11. 11 is my absolute favorite number here. We baptized 11 people here at this church in a year. In Traveler's Rest, starting from scratch. We've had three weddings. There's one. There's two. That's three weddings. We have 48 people who regularly volunteer. 48. I know you're looking around and you're like, there's probably 95 people here. Yeah. 48 people regularly give their time in the kids' ministry, in the nursery, setting up, tearing down our incredible band. Like, oh, they're just ridiculous. Putting up all the balloons you saw. How about those balloons today, right? Looking good, right? Yeah. All right, Mikey, two people thought that was worth it. Good job. Um, we have 60 people in small groups. She's very involved. And we have five incredible interns. I, I, you're going you're gonna to get tired of me talking about our interns. We have five interns. Let me tell you about them. One of them who sings, Hannah, has answered a call to come work at our church for the next year for free. She's literally raising her own salary to be here for a year after graduating Furman. I don't know if you know anything about Furman, but my view is you put a paper down that says Furman on it. People are like, you can do whatever you want. We have another intern whose family's in South Africa and Boston who's going to be living here. 
for the summer and busting her rump for free and leading our children's ministry. We have another intern who you may have seen in Christmas who drove up every single weekend from Charleston to set up, be here, and then tear down and go home. And we have another intern who I've known since he was 15, and he's great, and he kind of annoys me, but no, I'm just kidding. Aiden, wherever you are, you're wonderful. Who, who gave up an opportunity to go to school in New York and USC Honors College to go to North Greenville because he was called here. Then we have Jordan, who literally will do anything and love anyone. And pretty much everything you've seen set up is because he's either messed with it, figured it out, or made it better. He's going to be in Alaska for most of the summer. But we have things that we shouldn't have as a first-year church. I've been in mega churches where we were begging for, for interns. We were trying to find I was talking to Mikey yesterday. My last church, which I love, is an incredible place, pays a lot of money to summer interns, $300 a week. All right? I'm like, I might be an intern there this summer. I'm just being honest with you. And they're trying to fill three spots, and they will because they're a great place. And we have five interns who love this place and will give everything. And I think, like, that's not normal. That's, that, that doesn't happen where God isn't moving. And here's the best part. We're just getting started. We're just getting started. You saw April up here painting, and I'm assuming there's more to come, but maybe not. April's husband is a dear friend of mine as well, and they started a church in Asheville called The Gathering a couple years before us. And I actually wrote a blog post about this, that we went up when things were really rough, and we sat with them in Asheville in the, probably the most beautiful house I've ever seen in my life. It's not their house. No, I want it to be that. It was on, literally on top of a mountain. If I didn't have a four-wheel drive car, you would have been reading in the news about how a pastor uh, and his family fell off the side of a mountain and died. It was pretty impressive to get up there. I was proud of my car. I remember sitting on the mountaintop and, and them telling stories about their first year, their first Christmas, and thinking like, man, there is great hope where God moves. And it encouraged me to keep going. Because people asked me a question. They said, why travelers rest? Who's from Greenville? Anybody from Greenville originally or lived here for a while? That tells you a lot about Travis Rest, right? People say, why, why TR? Why do you want to go out to a small town in the country? There's nothing there. There's no buildings. There's just mountains and a Walmart. And a Chick-fil-A. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Even if that wasn't Jesus' chicken, I would still eat it as much as I could. Right? They said, why TR? And said, because, um, well, I'll tell you the exact reason later, but because just some more numbers for you. Because within five miles of where we are, there are 32,204 people. I know that seems mind blowing. 32,000 people. 8% of those people in this immediate area have a high propensity for depression. The national average is 6.1%. We have a higher level of people who are depressed and hurting and hopeless. That number works out to 2,705 people. There are 2,705 people within five miles of you right now who are considering giving up. 16, this is the one that hurts me. 16% of people likely have a marriage in need. Riley, I just unplugged that. Sorry, whatever that is. The national average is 12%, so there's brokenness there, but we have 4% 
more on average. 5,220 people within five miles of you right now have a relationship that is in need of restoration and hope. And maybe, maybe you're here. Maybe that's you. 48% of people are completely unchurched. 13% of those people actually are anti-church. National average is eight. 15,458 people from where you sit do not go to church, have lost trust in church, do not have faith, do not have a place to belong. Maybe they are believers and they don't have community, but they have need. Four, or 15,458 people within five miles of you right now need a place. See, we have a call to this, this city and to these people. The question is how? The question is when is it enough? I've told you guys, if you've been here multiple times, my goal is not to be a big-time pastor that has people flying me out to preach and teach because I'm so smart and right, but I don't want any of that, right? If you want to send me to the Bahamas, that's fine. But, but the goal of our church is not to become famous or big and to do everything and have everything. The goal of our church is to populate heaven and point people toward Jesus. And there are 15,000 people within five miles of us who need that. And that's just the people who are honest. But here's why this church matters and what's different. Because we, as a church, are not saving people to a point of being conservative and believing as we believe. We are pointing people toward God so that when God saves them himself, everything else works itself out and the city changes. We've been in this series called The Best Year Ever, and it's because I believe this can be our best year ever because there are people in this room, including me, who haven't had the hope that they deserve. There are 15,000 people who have no hope or have little hope or that this is all they have. This can be the best year ever because when we get that, when we don't try to save people toward a, <clears throat> toward a moralism and we save them toward the gospel, we point them to Jesus and we baptize them, and God changes people's heart, when that happens, Cities change. And I'm not asking you to be a part of this because I think it's fun or easy. Look, we sit in wedding chairs that are meant for people to sit in a max of two hours before they say, my butt hurts and I got to get up and dance. I'm not asking you for comfort. I'm asking you to take steps because what we have here and what we can do if we are the right heart and have the right mind can change our city and our state and our country. Yes, I am that stupid and optimistic to believe that we can have that much in effect. So the question for you today as we dive into First Kings is who do we honestly believe holds the key to that change? To this, to this city meeting Jesus and having hope. Who do we honestly believe holds that key? It's not a trick question. Those of you who think, oh no, what have I done coming to this church? Got to answer the question. It's not a trick question. So the answer is still God, right? The hope is still Christ. But what has changed? Why do we matter? Why do we have to be here? Because the determination of churches and the people here can't be comfortable and satisfied. And, and, and guys, I refuse. I refuse to be comfortable and satisfied. I refuse for my children to grow up and not have a place to belong. And not have community. I refuse for my friends to walk through hardship because that's what Jesus says there will be hardship alone. 
I refuse to not have hope that extends past what happens if I die in a car wreck on the way home. I refuse to live in a place where that is people's mentality, where that's their reality. But we can't be status quo. And here's why, because we can't let John 3.16 grow cold. See, people who don't even know Jesus can quote John 3.16. We put it on posters and binders and things and coffee mugs and everything. Everyone, even if they mock it, they can quote John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that who would ever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. We teach it to our kids in Sunday school. The problem is, I think we've gotten to a point where our culture, where we hear that, and it's just kind of status quo and okay. So there's power in that. For God so loved this world. So God so loved every bit of everything you are, every hardship, every failure, every mess up, and every other person that you can think of that you know who has hurt you. But he sent his son to die in your place. That whosoever should believe in him would have eternal life, would have a hope. See, we can't let that grow cold. If the gospel grows cold, we grow complacent. And when we grow complacent, our call falls. I, I, I want to be a place where people come and they are blown away at the character of God and the love of who he is and what he's called us to. This, this canon is a place where the power of God can exist and change people's hearts and it can never be normal. We can always be excited, but we have to not let that grow cold. We either must say that God is powerful, that we care and we believe it, or that we don't care, or that God isn't powerful. Those are our choices, but he is. So here's our choice, to get on the train and watch him overcome the world, or to sit on the side. And if you came here and it's your first time, I know I'm going pretty hard for a year celebration service, but that's kind of, I'll get used to it. Um, <laughs> that's all the people who have been here for a while. <laughs> But in 2019, the best year ever for trail setters because we are not going to sit idly by. Here's a newsflash. I know I'm optimistic. I've been told to. People that you walk with and meet and come across, sometimes people can be a little unkind for each other. Sometimes people can disagree. You will not be best friends with everybody who walks down Main Street. Because sometimes you're walking down and that one guy on the Harley comes and like hits the gas really hard. And you're like, why do you do that? That's annoying. That's my ears. I'm not funny at all today. You're not going to agree with everybody. But here's what shifts. When we have a gospel mentality, we understand what hope is. Put Ephesians 6.12 on the screen. This is why things change, and this is why we understand who God is. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Look, when you have disagreements and you have hurt and you see people and you can't get along and there's conflict, the way that we love people and the way that we're going to have the best year ever at Trailside is because we don't, or we know that those people aren't actually fighting us because they just don't like us. It's because brokenness exists. Because Satan hasn't given up. Because 15,000 people are in the city and don't go to church. Because over 2,000 people are depressed 
and hurting and alone. And that's not their fault. That's because Satan hasn't given up. And if we take that seriously, we can see the city change. But we have to believe it. Listen, I've read the book. Our, our battle is to fight behind an undefeated general. And he doesn't fail. But he invites us into battle. And there's nothing he won't do when we call on him. So let's go to 1 Kings 18. John's amp. Todd told you you're in trouble today. So go to 1 Kings 18. I want to give you a background while you flip there. It's in the Old Testament. You need to look for it. Don't feel bad. I didn't open the Bible until I was 17, and then the second time until I was 19, so you're good. 1 Kings 18, we're going to be in verse 20. <clears throat> but up to this point, let me tell you what's happening. Elijah's hanging out with this guy named King Ahab, who's very wicked, married to Jezebel, who you may have heard of. Or you may have heard of people called Jezebels. This is how, how that term came to be. They're responsible for a widespread worship, actually taking Israel, removing them from worship of God, and pointing them towards Baal who is a god of fertility. The problem for Ahab was this guy Elijah, a distinguished prophet, fearless of any king. He was so in tune with God that he feared nothing and no one, even the most powerful man on the planet. And in a couple chapters, I'm going to ruin it for you. Ahab is going to catch an arrow that gets shot, meant for nobody. But in the meantime, he's trying to have this, this hunt of Elijah. And so this face-off occurs because Elijah goes, all right, hey, Ahab, you bring all your guys, all your prophets, all your incredible people, bring them to this mountain. We're going to have a face-off. We're going to throw down. Listen, if you haven't read the Old Testament, go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings is awesome. It has every great story. It's got like, listen, if you're bald, okay, stay with me. I want you to go to 1 Kings 22 and see what happens when people make fun of bald prophets. She-bears happen. Right? Yeah. Awesome, incredible story. But here's one of the best. <clears throat> so let's pick up at verse 20. Now I'm going to read this to you. I don't know if I have it on the screen. No, it's we do. Wow, it's impressive. This is what happened. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel to all the believers and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal follow him, wouldn't you love to have that kind of audacity? Like walk up to you, but look, look, stop this fence jumping garbage. Like if God is God, follow him. If he's not, follow him. I, I hope that I have that mentality of like, look, here's the deal. God doesn't need me to defend him. He's a lion of Judah. Open that door. Let him come out of the cage. He doesn't need little old me. I'm not scared of debate. I'm not scared of people like science. No, God created science. I'm not worried about that. I got nothing to hide, man. The Lion of Judah is not scared of you. How long will you, have, will you go limping between different opinions? The Lord is God and follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Hilarious. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord because Backstory, Ahab had killed the rest of them. I even not only a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. 
and you call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, that's well spoken. So he stacks the table, right? <clears throat> what, what Elijah actually does, and even taking the bulls and the way that they cut them and put them on the altar, he actually is allowing them to worship as Baal's worshipers would. Like that, That's the craziest part of this, right? He's not saying like, here, okay, here's how the Lord calls us to sacrifice. Uh, we're going to do this, and if God shows up. No, he says, all right, let's go on the mountain. Let's have dueling banjos of sacrifices here. And I'm going to let you set up your sacrifice the way that your God wants you to. And I'm going to set mine up. And I'm going to let you go first. There's 450 of you. I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to let you call on your God, and if fire comes, we'll follow him. And I'm going to call on the Lord. And when the Lord delivers, we'll follow him. And all of Israel, God's chosen people, will say, we will save you. Amazing. Pretension is not just for today's life. Hmm. I happen to agree with the way you put that out there. I will follow it. I'm not now. Elijah's a tough dude. He's fearless. So he stacks the pot. And here's, here's what happens. I mean, you're in church, so you probably get it. But if you hadn't heard the story, here it comes. Verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull. Prepare it first for your many. Call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. They took the bull that was given to them. They prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. Man, y'all thought you'd get tired of your kids going, Mom! Mom! Dad! Mom! Just me? No. I know more about Minecraft than anyone who has never played. And those dads in here who have kids who play Minecraft, like, we could have a challenge. Fun. Let's talk about Ender Dragon. I'm in. What am I doing? They called from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around, interesting, the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. All right, look, I'm just going to say this. Y'all are going to deal with it, okay? I, I, I want you to come here and hopefully hear stuff that you probably don't hear in, like, the really conservative, very together churches. Because I'm not very together. I'm sorry. I'm a mess. We have, we have decided, or culture has decided, that Christians are supposed to be, like, wusses who walk around and aren't tough and are doormats to people and, like, very, oh, oh, it's okay. Oh, you punched me in the face and then you cut me in half. Like, it's okay. I forgive you. Not supposed to stand up for ourselves. Listen. Then there's the other side where we say, like, we're supposed to yell and scream at people and scream condemnation. I think the answer lies kind of like here in the middle. Watch what Elijah does. He actually kind of makes fun of them. Right? That's what he's, look at what he's about to do. And at noon, this is verse 27, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud or cry louder. Or he's a god. Either he is musing or maybe relieving himself, which, yes, that's what that means. If you go back and study the Hebrew there, it's, it's, it's very much the same as saying maybe he is pooping. Sorry, I, it's the Bible. It's not me being gross. Everybody does it, and so does Baal, apparently. Or he's relieving himself, or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. 
So they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the ovulation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. I, I, I love that Elijah's like, hey, uh, maybe you're just not being loud enough. Which is also what my son does. Dad, 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 daddy, daddy. Maybe it's being, not being loud enough. So you get a little more energy in there. Get your God excited to listen. Or maybe he's musing. Maybe for those of you guys who haven't taken the SAT recently, it means to just fear I'm pontificating, thinking. Maybe he's walking around considering things. My name is Baal. I have worshipers. I do this facility thing pretty well. Maybe he can't be bothered because he's into himself at this moment. Or maybe he's relieving himself. Like he would answer, but he's gone to the one place that you can't bother him. Which again, parents, you know that's a lie. The Old Testament's hilarious. Or maybe he's on a journey. He's got too much stuff to do. He's got his packing list ready. He's trying to figure out how, how to hide the liquor so the people of the cruise ship don't get it. Or maybe he's asleep. It's actually alluding to a story that uh, is called Baal's Cycle, where one of the gods cannot be awoken to deliver the people, to care for his people, and had to have his wife come in and say, Arise, O sleeper, wake up, your people need you. See, church, listen, here, here's the reason why we exist. Because those reasonings are the same reasons that people are using today, and they're using them every day while you're walking outside. They're doing the same thing in the midst of their hurt. They're saying, well, I just need to try a little harder. I just need to be a little, I, I just need to, to give a little more of myself and I can dig myself out of this. You know what's really interesting about the term, pull yourself up by your bootstraps? You guys heard that before? Right? The colloquialism is like, oh, well, you just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You got to really go after it. Pick yourself up. Do you know that's impossible? The statement of pick yourself up by your bootstraps is actually made so that you would understand that you can't do it alone because you need someone to pick you up. So when people say that, they don't know what they're saying. They're saying you actually need help. You can't do it alone. But we've allowed that to be like, well, just work real hard. No, no. Have people who will pick you up. You don't need to try a little harder. You tried super hard all of last year, and you're still right here. Or we get louder. So I just need someone to listen. If I just had someone to talk to, I need a girlfriend. No, you don't. <laughs> or if I could just get his attention, he'd care a little more. So we lower standards of how we live, what we do, what we think about ourselves. Listen, I spent 13 years in student ministry. Nothing broke my heart more than to see a sweet teenage girl tell me how awful she was. Thought she wasn't beautiful or cared for. We're not important, not loved. She didn't threw herself at every boy hoping for attention. Or if I could just work a little harder, or if I could sleep a little more, or if I could just eat at Starbucks and Chick-fil-A a little less, 
I can save a little more. See, we've allowed our city to suffer through hardship without pointing them toward the right way, the right place. Or maybe it's you and you've allowed yourself to, to retain as much control as possible because if you can control things, you can make things happen. And what you found is that maybe you just need to give up and take God at his word. In addition to the numbers I gave you, there's also about 6,000 college students in this city within five miles of us. 6,000 between Furman and North Greenville. They're here eight months, eight and a half months out of the year. That's why our heart is so driven towards college because they matter. Because those levels that I gave you of stress and depression and relationships, or more than double that when you talk about college students. See, that's why we have hope. And so, verse 28 and 29, they begin hurting themselves, stabbing themselves. It's kind of familiar. We see that with people who are hurt. And they do that in a desperate attempt to get Baal to listen. They take desperate and drastic measures, hoping that their control can solve their own problems. But what we learn is that it can't. Verse 30 says this, And Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. Pretty straightforward. Thank you, Bible. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. So also customary in these face-off uh, prophets would tear each other's altars down so God couldn't answer. So that's what that means. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. So he restores the people of Israel who are there, reminds them where they came from. 32, and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two sayas of seed. That's just a lot. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He said, do it a second time. He did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. He did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. Now, historians think that those buckets they used probably held about eight gallons of water. So imagine this. There's an altar. There's a bowl that's all cut up. There's eight. These people are dumping eight gallons of water times four. Do that twice. That's 64. Do it again. That's 96 gallons of water. All right, I'm not that good at math. I actually used the calculator into my notes. So don't be impressed. 96 gallons, so it is soaking wet. It's floating. See, what happens is, when Elijah sees a bull cut up and soaked and waiting on water, he doesn't see what was improbable already or what the people might think now was impossible. He sees a God who answers supernaturally and solves problems and comes through and is relentless. See, our lives, our city, there are thousands of people out there or maybe in here who have situations that are seemingly improbable and now because of our mess-ups, they've moved to humanly impossible to get by. And we've given up. And we're tired and we're doing everything we can to put things on Facebook to get help. I know because you probably unfollowed me because I get annoying with that. Fine. Thank you. 
relax today. I'm, I'm getting there. But, but we do things that seem improbable, and then they turn into impossible, and then instead of seeking God, we just try to fix it ourselves. But here's the deal. Our God is a God of the impossible. Our God is a God of answer, of hope. I don't want you to come be a part of this church because it's fun or easy or comfortable. I want you to come because if you're a part of this, if you actually follow and seek and do what God tells you, you will have fulfillment in the greatest capacity you've ever felt. It's going to be because your hope isn't in what happens here in this world. It's that eternity matters more and that whatever happens here isn't your control anyway. And there's freedom in that. I'm not telling you're going to have more money and more stuff and bigger houses. In fact, biblically speaking, that God blesses us so we can give more. That's what it says. That's scripture. Don't, I'm not trying to get weird on you. But if you have a million dollars, you'd like to buy us a button. I'm kidding. Kind of. No. No, we have a God who is supernatural and does not deal in terms of humanity. He deals with humanity. So watch what happens. Verse 39. Sorry, y'all know you're going to be here for a while today. We're okay, right? Y'all with me? We awake? Excited? Ready to see what happens? In the words of Kevin Hart, it's about to go down. Hmm, look at all the sinners out there. <laughs> kidding. And when all the people saw it, no, I'm sorry, let me back up. 38. Then, nope, back again, 37, sorry. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, this is Elijah, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. So not only does the sacrifice go, but all the water goes. Everything is gone. Everything that would get in the way disappears. Not just some of it, all of it. And when all the people saw, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And then they killed them all, and that's the whole other story. Not going to go there. Not today. So watch what happens. When God shows up, the people say, truly he is God. They fall down and they worship and everything changes. The church, here's my question for you. Why not us? A lot of y'all prayed a couple weeks ago when Clemson was facing Alabama and kickoff was coming. And God delivered. Amen. <laughs> but we let sports teams say things like that. Why not us? Why can't this be us? There's got to be somebody's church. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm a sports guy. That's fine. But why not us? Why not us? Because other churches are out there. I don't, I don't want to be news spring. I love that place. Brad Cooper's a friend of mine. Incredible dude. I don't want to be great. I don't want to be Brooke. I don't want to be whatever major church you're thinking of. I want to be trailside. And I want it to matter. Because it can be us. It can be us that people come and they hear the gospel and they see community and they live and they go, I want that. And then they do what all the Israelites did in verse 39 and they said, he truly is the Lord. I want this to be a place where people with addiction and hurt and torn up relationships and hopeless marriages come and they have forgiveness and healing and God answers them. And then they pour back into the community. Listen, 
I want this to be a place where we all go hard. I'm just telling you. I want us to go hard because, because people matter. Because these seats that are empty are for somebody and they matter. So the question, again, that I've been asked, why in the world did you plant a church in Shiloh's rest? Because, because we need it. Because in one year, I've seen disease disappear. I've seen prognosis of people who are terrified and unsure what their future was going to look like come back and be clear. I've seen provision. I've seen bills that are impossible. Look, I'm not, I'm not the guy who's like, oh, I went out to the mailbox, there was a check there, it was amazing. I'm not saying that's what God works. I'm not saying he wants to give you stuff. I'm saying that God truly has provision and that God has done that. That people have shown up when we need the most. So I've seen people who are praying because they need a break and God delivers them in multiple capacities. In one short year, I've seen relationships restored. I have seen marriages on the brink. Come to this church meet Jesus, apologize, show humility, and then change. Y'all, if I need to start telling these stories out loud, please believe my will. I've seen community happen. Some of my best friends that I have in the world are in my small group. Love y'all. You bring me life. You've been there when we had trouble, when we had miscarriage, when we had hardship. We're there for you when you're struggling and hurting as well. I've seen salvation. Guys, we've seen eternity shift. We've seen baptism. We've seen people find purpose. We've seen people answer calls to ministry to give their lives to other people. That's incredible. So why here? Why now? Why, why would this be our best year ever for a young church with no money, with big debt, some more fundraisers. With a small staff, with 48 volunteers, with five college interns, with a pastor who gets in trouble because he put on his bio that he likes bourbon on the back porch. Why, why here? Because here's the final statement for you this morning. Trailside is going to be the anomaly. Trailside is going to be the anomaly. And this city, I'm not even just talking about Traveler's Rest, okay? I'm talking about Greenville. I'm talking about Berea. I'm talking about Taylor's, Greer, Cleveland, wherever you might be from. This city needs an anomaly. And I, I believe that, that's us. So if you've been with us for a long time, get ready. If you thought I was fired up a year ago, oh, boy. I'm going to annoy you twice as much now. If you're just starting or if you're checking us out for the first time, I want you to know this is a place for you to get in because it's going to get crazy. We're going to see God do amazing things. But we need you. Because God's about to do something wild. And and guys, I just... 
in a city that is so torn up with 2,705 people who are ready to be done forever, we have the opportunity to do something incredible. And here's how we're going to do it, church. We're going to equip you to lead to be what God called you to be in the way he put you together. We're going to empower you to go out into the city and change it. Listen, if you have high hopes that I'm going to just be the guy who goes and tells everybody about our church and just leads thousands of people to Jesus, that ain't, that ain't me. But I'll walk with you. We'll do it together. We'll hold each other's arms up. Then we're going to celebrate. Then we're going to start over. And we're going to send out other people to plant other churches. The same lives. Second thing is we're going to answer the needs of our community and refuse to relent. One reason that we adopted Gateway Park is because we drove in there one day to hang out as a family. And my son looked at it and said, Dad, can we go somewhere else? So we're going to have crazy goals. I told the city manager a couple a month and a half ago. I said, my goal is that Trailside is going to write a $20,000 check and go, here, this is to buy new playground equipment. If people are going to come and move to our city and fathers, I said this a few weeks ago, fathers are going to go take their kids to playgrounds and reestablish relationships as their children come down the slide as they push their wives on the swing. We're going to make decisions for what our city needs, what people need, regardless of traditional church. We are not a traditional church. I got news for you. We are not meeting here so that one day we can be a traditional church. Ain't happening. We sing hymns. They're good. But if you want traditional and comfortable, it ain't here. And we know what we're doing is different, but 2019 could be a year of difference for you. Because we're going to refuse the status quo. I don't want you to give. I don't want you to serve. I don't want you to come to a church that is status quo. I refuse that. I'm not going to do it. But I do want you to give. I do want you to serve. I do want you to come to a church that is watching people's eternities and lives change. Marriages get healed. Diseases leave. Relationships restored. Depression. Addiction. Leaving. Where the outcasts have a home. Where people find peace. So the next few weeks, we're starting our men's and our women's communities. We're starting a student ministry for our middle and high school students. It's actually already been started. Our interns who are leading it have been here every Friday meeting with kids as they wait on the bus because they've been forgotten. We are going to be, as I said last week, friends with scratch. Because, yes, we are a church right now led by guy who likes the Browns way too much and drinks bourbon. And last week, if you were here, I kind of accidentally called all the other pastors morons, and it wasn't good. <laughs> That's true. I know. If you're here the first time, you're like, what did I walk into? I apologize. Yeah. We're a church that is going to unapologetically care for people, even in the messiest moments. Even when they aren't traditional church people. Even when we find them drunk at the bar on Saturday night, we are going to be a church that loves people. And we're going to be willing to take risks. 
because if those risks mean that people meet Jesus and have hope restored and have their lives changed, if it is worth taking risks so people can look at us and think we're weird or that we do things that churches shouldn't, but it means we baptize and populate heaven and that people are going to be sitting at the table down from you in eternity, looking at you, thanking that you were thanking you for being willing to take a step other people wouldn't, then we're going to do that, and I'm okay with that. And I know that's scary and weird, but that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do all that because we're going to populate the crap out of heaven. Because I got news for you. My, my son, maybe I'm selfish in this, my son and my daughter are worth establishing a relationship with a living, loving God who, gives, who gave everything for them and them living in that knowledge and understanding and how they love people, care for people, serve people, care for each other, and what they do with their lives, that matters more than comfort to me. I want this church to establish a legacy. And that's not so people can talk about how great we are, or how incredibly good-looking the pastor is. Oh, you laughed at that one? Okay. Because we can make this the best year ever, and then when 2020 comes around, that can be the best year ever because people are getting baptized by the dozens and hundreds. And it's not so we can build a big stage, it's so we can put people at the table with us in heaven and enjoy Jesus together forever. So my big question for you is I'm actually wrapping up. Sorry, he told you I was amped, right? Y'all heard that. Those of you guys who have been in our church for a few months, you're like, oh, well, back to forgetting the buffet first. There it is. So here's my question for you. What are you willing to do differently to make this year count? I'm not offering you fluff. I'm not offering you this romanticized version of the next year. I'm not good at that. I'm too mean for that. Too blunt. Not mean. I'm not mean. I'm blunt. What are you willing to do to make this the best year ever? What are you willing to commit to? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give? What are you willing to say, this is more valuable than everything to? We're too comfortable, and we can't be because people are dying without Jesus. Because there's 2,705 people within five miles of this place who are depressed and thinking no one cares, and they have no hope. And then we wonder why they're selfish. Because they need hope. Because <laughs> everyone else has given up on them. And the last person who can give up on them is them. But that's not the reality of their situation. And so, church, we can be a people who deliver hope. There's a card on the back table. We're going to have communion as well. And I want you to take the card. As we sing this next song, we're going to have a quick moment of communion here. And I'm going to let you do that at your own time. I want you to take the card. Or take two cards. I want you to write down what you're going to do. Husbands, maybe... Maybe this for you is that you're going to look at it. You're going to tell your wife you're going to sacrifice and love her the way you did before you got married. Or wives, that you're going to love your husband in the same way. Or single folks, that you're going to stop worrying so much about if you'll find somebody and know that when God has the person, he will deliver the person, and you're okay with that. 
or that if you're hurting and tired and worn out, that there is hope and you are going to dive in and walk with Jesus every single day. Because that's what matters. Or that you're going to give. Whether you're going to come to church, whether you're going to serve, whatever, uh, whatever that might be, I don't want to paint anything in your heart. I just want you to do it. I want you to take your card and write it down. And I want you to keep it with you. Remind yourself. That seems kitschy. I apologize, but sometimes we need things in front of us. And if you want to commit to that with us, I want you can write it on another card, or you can tear a piece off. You can throw it in our offering basket. We're going to take up here in a little while. But the question is, what are you willing to make this year different? What do you want to do to make this year different? It's our birthday. I want to celebrate. And next year, I want to celebrate more and the next even more. But I want you to know, our church, by default, is taking the improbable and what is seemingly impossible, what people have given up on. We are serving a God who is supernatural and all-powerful. And when he shows up, things change. So that's why we're planning things and doing things that aren't normal. Because God is supernatural, because God gets the glory, and you get trailside, happy, stinking birthday. I'm glad I have a filter. Ooh, it almost came out differently. <laughs> happy birthday. Let's enjoy and remember this because this is just the beginning. So here's the next year. And you're after that. And you're after that. Pray. Father, you're good. Thank you for your word. Thank you for hope. Thank you for caring for us and loving us. Father, we pray as we wrap up this morning that we will do it with a heart that's focused on you. Give us hope. Help us to know that this is about you and not us. And that as you deliver us and as you deliver people, it's a point of celebration because you are good. We love you, Jesus. Meet us here. Continue to pray. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.